For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the first episode of Believe in Softball. In this podcast, we're breaking down softball and all the different aspects of the game here on Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and I'm so excited for this first episode, especially excited for our first ever guest. Proper introduction is necessary. So she was an All-American at Stanford, former Team USA member, and former professional player in the National Pro Fast Pitch League. And also, you could argue, because I do, that most importantly, she was my former college teammate and wingman, Alyssa Haber-Leiden. Woo! Woo. <laughs> hey, 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 Jen. I'm super excited that uh, uh, I'm here. First of all, congrats on your podcast launch. This is super exciting. I'm, I'm honored that I get to be your first guest. I'm excited. Not as honored as I am. I'm so thrilled. Although I don't think I've ever called you Alyssa in my life. I mean... It's always, it's always Haber, you know, even with your, I'm just tapes to all of my, all of my former teammates from, from every, every part of my softball career. I'm just Haves. Yeah. I mean, even with your married name now, I'm like, someone says, oh yeah, Alyssa Leiden. I'm like, who? Who's that? (laughs) But anyways, I've been married for six years and I still, as it's weird having the Leiden at the end, but (laughs) all good though. But we are thrilled to have you on Believe in Softball. And to jump right in, the name kind of says it all, right? Like softball has continued to grow year after year because people do believe in it, you know, whether it's cheesy or not, it's just a fact. And 2020 is shaping up to be huge. So today we're going to talk about a couple things. College season just kicked off this past weekend. We'll dig a little bit into preseason and the significance of this time of year. And then what makes 2020 such a big year for softball and maybe get a glimpse into some of the stuff that we'll get into in the show for the rest of the year. As we dive in, quick heads up that Believe in Softball is available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and also on social at Believe Podcasts. And of course, you can also reach me on Twitter at JennaBecerra01 with questions, comments, and more. All right, so let's dive in. Preseason is here. So opening weekend never disappoints. And a big reason I feel like is because there's so much hype before, you know, team rankings, all American lists, even like a top 100 player list this year. But, you know, as usual, we already see big upsets like we saw with Florida State and Alabama this weekend. In general, what are your thoughts on preseason awards? Is there value there? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I think, you know, I'm an old timer. Uh, I remember the first time that softball was televised and it was just the college world series. And that was pretty much it. That's the only exposure we got to to softball on the national stage outside of the Olympics. Um, If you wanted to go catch a college softball game, you had to go to your local university and and watch the softball team there. Um, So I don't know. I, I think people watch sports obviously because they, they love, the game, but also they watch it for the storylines, right? They want to be able to see the drama unfold in real time. And so I think these like preseason awards kind of help 
set the stage, especially now that softball is on this like kind of national level. We're seeing televised games in February, which is amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible to see how far the sport has come even in the past 10, 15 years. And these preseason awards, um, they help kind of build that narrative of who to look out for, what games to prioritize, how to follow these teams that, that seem to be kind of bubbling to the top, at least in these early days. But I think it's important as fans and especially as players to understand that that's the function of those lists. It's not uh, an oracle or a crystal ball that's trying to tell the future of who's going to be the player of the year or who's going to win mm. the World Series at, at the end at the end of it all. I think it's it's more just to build that story and and for fans to kind of follow that story throughout the season. Um, you and I both know as former players, you know, we we stay away from lists like that because <laughs> we tend to absorb that narrative into our own play. Um, everyone starts zero zero. Everyone starts undefeated, um, and you know you just you, you take everything with a grain. You take everything that the experts say with a grain of salt, and and just put in the work every day to to be the best player you can be, to be the best team you can be, um, and and put in a season that you can be proud of at the end of the day. So, I think overall it's a good thing that we have these things. It puts us on the same level of conversation as some of the the, the blue chip sports, blue chip college sports. But at the same time, it's something to take with a grain of salt, as always, because any team can be any team. Any player can out, outlast any other player. So that's right. my thought. You know, I think I'm on that same page, right? Like we always used to say the game doesn't know who's supposed to win. So I'm, I'm with you there. And I think, like you said, it's a great marketing tool, honestly, for players to watch. Like I'm on board with that 100%. I think sometimes when it's like a full-on award almost, like framed in that sense, I don't know if it always makes sense because like you were saying, just because that seems like it's kind of based on past performances and there's like a certain level of assumption there, but really it all means not a whole lot until you get between the lines. So I think that makes total sense too. Totally. Totally. And I think um, one of the the things I learned early on in my career as an athlete is it's not about what you've done. It's what you've done for me lately. Totally. And so these players are being held to a past precedent that, they, they have to understand that it's not about what you've done in the past that's going to dictate who gets those trophies at the end of the year. It's what you're going to do from now on. Um, and so as long as you can keep that mindset, then, then, then you know, you'll, you'll be golden. Yeah, totally. So when you step on the field, that's when everything starts. That's when it starts to matter. And there's nothing really quite like opening day. I mean, we just saw this past weekend, as we do every year, there's just a little extra excitement. And so can we talk about like that feeling as a player when you're about to start that clean slate is no longer about to be clean? Yeah, there's no better feeling of stepping onto the field, knowing that you finally get to play a team in another uniform in a game that counts, you know, players go through fall ball, which is a grind players know. I mean, it's, it's eight weeks, 10 weeks of, of, you know, long practices, inner squad scrimmages, if you're lucky, some games against other teams that, that don't have any, any implication, but now it matters. And now all of the work that, that you've put in is going to start being put to the test. Um, so I always say, like, if you're not nervous on opening day, then you're just getting it wrong. Like, you don't <laughs> understand what, what's happening around you. Um, of course, we, we want to, uh, you know, put forth this image of that we're confident and that we're prepared and that we know what we're doing and we're ready to, to crush. But but there's that little bit of fear in the background that's like, what if we haven't prepared enough? What if we're not good enough? What if we fall short? And I think that's healthy. I think being able to balance both of those feelings, the confidence and kind of the fear or, or the, the trepidation 
is what makes athletes great because it keeps them focused on the goal at hand, which is to score more runs than the other team, right? I think for me as a player, I always got nervous on opening day more than any other day, but really before any other, any game of my career, there was always that sense of, you know, am I going to be able to perform to the level that I know I can? Um, because then it just motivates you to continually prove yourself and, and show that you do belong and that you, you, you'll, you'll exceed expectations. Um, at least that's how I've always thought of it. I always feel that when you come out too confident or you believe the things like the polls and then the player to watch lists, that's when you give yourself an opening for other people to kind of, uh, take you down or, or to take you out. Uh, Alabama, I think is in a position now where they kind of feel that they were the number one going in, uh, to, into the season and, and they had a rough weekend and, and all teams have rough weekends, but now it's time to, to look inward and reassess and make new goals and come out stronger than ever, which, um, I know coach Murphy will definitely, uh, will definitely do with his team, especially now I just heard they got their catcher back. So, um, it's just all about controlling those feelings and using them for positive rather than letting them consume you. Right. Right. Turn the page. Yeah. And how important is that, you know, this preseason portion of the season, basically, like how important is it to set up the stage for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think this is um, the chance to, to really show going into your conference, um, you know, what, what level you're going to be at and how you're going to operate throughout the rest of the season, kind of set that tone, especially if you're in a highly competitive conference, like the PAC 12, the SEC, the ACC, um, these, these are conferences that are becoming more and more competitive, very highly competitive groups. And so for these teams, it's time to start off, you know, almost with a sprint and come out of the gate running um, to kind of build that confidence. Uh, and because once you get into the, that, that conference time, it, it can be, you know, it, it can be challenging playing top level teams day in, day out. Um, so, and for these teams that are in, you know, uh, bubble conferences, I think it's, it's a great opportunity for them to showcase on the national stage playing, you know, top ranked teams, what they're made of so they can, they can get that, that notoriety. And so it's an exciting time for, for any college team that, that wants to make an impact and, and start off on a positive note. Right. Cause nothing replaces game reps, you know, players are competing for spots to solidify the lineup. Coaches are trying things. And I feel like you're also sort of gelling as a team from freshmen to seniors. Like you are all together on the field truly for the first time in real competition. I think that's a really great point. I think this whole idea that, you know, you've had the fall to prepare and, you know, the month coming back from, from winter break to, to get that team cohesiveness, but nothing challenges a team dynamic more than the heat of, a, of the battle of game, you know, game, game reps and, and game situations. And so you're really put to the test, you know, how, how close are we as a unit? How much can we execute as one? Um, and so, you know, you, you find those tests, you get challenged, you might fail every once in a while, but failure is the best teacher that we have. And so being able to prepare and embrace the fact that yes, we will not succeed all the time is the best way for a team to continue to become more cohesive and gel and, and get the outcomes that they want. Yeah. Game of failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, so preseason, it's such an important part, like we've been saying, and this is the first part of softball in 2020. It's really leading into everything else that's happening this year. I feel like 2020 could be the year of softball just to set the stage. You know, there's a lot going on to build the sport even further. Not only did NCAA softball just start obviously, but it's a brand new decade for that legacy. 
And of course, you know, the huge news this year that everyone's so excited about is that we're finally back in the Olympics for Tokyo 2020. Huge. It's been so long that we've been waiting for that. It's such great news. Yeah. And there's, there's some shakeups in the NPF too. You know, they're mixing things up as well. And for you, Haber, your background is all of these things. So let's just touch on each of them. Earlier, when I said that you were an All-American, I want to make it clear to everybody that you were a four-time All-American in the Pac-12, the winningest conference in NCAA history when it comes to national championships. This is no joke. So you're an expert, no Mm -hmm. doubt. And with that being said, we know college softball is something special. You've already touched on it. We're seeing more games on ESPN in February now, right? Like when did that ever used to happen? So what do you think has resonated with people? Yeah, I just think that college softball, I mean, I've been preaching this from the rooftops for years and years. I think it's one of the best products in terms of sport that you can put out there, Um, especially college softball. I I could also make a case for NPF, um, which we'll talk about later, but um, from college softball specifically, I mean, it's, 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 you know, the, the U of A's and the UCLA's kind of the, the, the big dogs essentially in the, in college softball and these, these rising and top of the line SEC programs, there's, there's a history there now um, that we can call to. Uh, I think it's one of the most uh, interesting games to watch from a fan's perspective. It's fast. It's, uh, it's passionate. It's, all the things that, that you want to see out of a ball and bat sport. Um, and again, just going back to the narratives, I think that ESPN and, and other networks are doing a great job of, of building this whole body of work around the games themselves to kind of paint that picture of not just the sport, but the athletes behind it, really profiling these young women and showing how on the field they may be studs, but off the field they have these amazing stories to tell. They're pillars of their community. They're, they're mentors for young girls um, in their communities. Um, and I think it, it just, it's a win-win for everyone. It's always a feel-good story. And so th- I think that's why softball, you've really seen this, this sharp uptick in the amount of softball that, that we see on, on the national stage. Like you said, the storylines. And those often will come to fruition in the Women's College World Series, but those start really now. And the visibility that's there has been such a big difference. And, and even on the player side, you know, that school pride that you have, not quite anything like it, you know, the bond that you have with your teammates. There's just so much goodness there. A lot of these programs have been around for so long. I mean, you and I both at Stanford, I mean, back when we were playing in, in you know, the late 2000 aughts, it was, uh, we were standing on the shoulders of people we were standing on the shoulders of Jessica Mendoza and Jessica Allister and Dana Sorensen. And, and we had these women in our program who we had to look up to and say, we want to live up to the standard that they set here on this field in the years before us. And these programs have the same exact thing. You know, UF has uh, Stacey Nelson and, and that amazing team from, from, uh, I think it was 2009 that went to the world series. Um, I think that there's a, a history here now, a lineage that we can see and we can call out um, that extends beyond the team that's in the moment. And yes, I said 2000 aughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that, right? People can, can Google it if they want. <laughs> so for you, what do you feel like were the best parts of college softball and what was the most challenging on the flip side? 
I mean, the best part is always um, my teammates. I, it's funny because as I've been out of softball in general now for what, eight years at this point, um, I never, I don't remember practices. I don't remember any specific games. I don't remember whether we won or we lost. You always remember the people you played with and the memories you made hmm. um, from, you know, being 12 years old and like, you know, going to a movie in between games and like goofing around and having fun and, and, and joking and laughing to, you know, uh, being with Team USA and walking around Caracas, Venezuela in the art district and buying, you know, jewelry from, from these local artists. I mean, these are experiences that I still take with me. That's the best part of, of the game is the people that you get to share it with far and away, like not even a contest. And I think probably the most challenging for college softball specifically, and, and I know a lot of uh, current student athletes feel this way, is the fact that student always comes first. Um, we both had a, a very unique experience and also being at Stanford University, which is an academically rigorous school, um, and being able to, to balance the, the needs as a student and why you're ultimately here is to get the education with this, this fire and this desire to be the best softball player you can be for your teammates. Um, and and to, to embrace that competitive part of yourself. I think that being able to, to balance those two things is still the main challenge of being a student athlete and why we should be continuing to celebrate a lot of these college athletes in general, but, but women especially. I think um, there's this expectation that, that sports is just the mean to an end, like, oh, you play softball just so you can get an education. And yeah, that's correct, but I'm also a competitor and I wanna win and I wanna bring a national championship back to my university and I wanna be the best I can be and I can do both. So uh, I, I think that that's something that I feel that a lot of athletes, especially female student athletes are feeling today is how do we, how do we temper those two things so that they're equally important? Thousand percent. And you do it with your teammates. And am I, am I right? Did you coin the term me mate? Like no me mates? <laughs> what was it? Oh yeah. Be a teammate, not a me mate. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was. I don't, maybe I might've had a hand in that. Yeah. It was the whole idea. Like, <laughs> don't be such a me-mate, right? We're teammates, not me-mates. That's, that's, uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's all about for me. Like I would do anything for my teammates. I don't have to love you to, to, to respect you as a teammate. It's all about lifting each other up all the time and making sure that we're all taken care of and, you know, physically healthy, emotionally healthy, psychologically healthy, that we're, we're having the best experience we can out on the field and beyond. If you could characterize college softball in three words, what would they be? Three words. Um, I think the number one thing is um, it's fast. I think when people watch fast pitch softball for the first time, uh, they're always blown away by how quick the game is. And I don't just mean like, you know, your average college softball game runs two, two and a half hours, which is miles away better than, than our baseball counterparts. Um, but also it's just the, the pace of the game is so fast, right? It's 65 plus pitching, closer mound, closer bases, shorter fences. There's bunting, there's slapping. There's all these different ways for, for the offense to, to interact with the defense. Um, there's lots of stealing, you know, whereas baseball has kind of evolved into this very static game where there's only movement when it's required, so to speak, or the, the chess match is kind of lost on the viewer. The viewer watching softball can understand what's going on very easily. They don't have to be, you know, kind of in this, uh, uh, this in the know of kind of the game within the game. Um, 
I would also say it's it's accessible for that same reason. Um, again, as long as you know the basic rules of ball and bat sports, it's it's pretty easy to to pick up softball. Um, and again, you get insight into things like you know bunt plays, first and third, steal situations. Uh, you know you can kind of learn as you go with softball without feeling like it's inaccessible. And the last thing would be passionate. We've seen. Uh, in the past couple of years, you know, with the, the dugout antics, which, you know, I have my my own take on when to have the appropriate <laughs> amount of dugout antics is is, is best. Um, but, you know, just seeing these, these young women who are passionate about their teammates, passionate about winning, and who just will, will do anything to lift up their teammates and make it fun. You don't see that in, in baseball as much, right? You don't see that in, in a lot of other college sports. I think softball is really different differentiated itself in, in a great way by being a very passionate, fun sport to watch because the athletes, you can see the love for the sport in the way they conduct themselves and play every day. Yeah. And you have to play loose, right? Like to be successful anyway. So I think softball does a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something I struggled with in, in my career. I was always a very serious player. I was actually quite severe at times because I just took everything way too seriously. And it wasn't until later in my career, um, you know, with the help of some really influential teammates who kind of showed me that this is at the end of the day, it's fun. This is, this is supposed to be fun. Enjoy it. I am with you there. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> overanalyzed plenty of at bats plays, et cetera, in my life. So I feel that. And really from college softball to really what we had to look up to when we were growing up and a lot of girls, even still today, there is the MPF, but the other big thing was the Olympics. It was the pinnacle of softball. But it's been 12 long years since the last time softball was on that stage in Beijing. How do you think bringing it back will affect the softball community? I mean, at, at, at first glance, and this is the, the main point here, is that this is an exciting time for softball, it being back in the Olympics. I think that USA Softball has done an amazing job of building this this vehicle or this, this campaign to kind of um, put the spotlight back on one of the most successful U.S. teams in, in history. I mean, uh, just you think about the dream team of 2004, uh, the, 2000, the, the amazing Cinderella story of the 96 Atlanta team, you know, like this is a marketable team. And so they're doing a great job of putting them in the spotlight and making sure that they give a, a stage for these women to showcase what they're made of. Um, I think it's great that, uh, you know, after the disappointing loss in 2008, that there's this, you know, redemption story that we're starting to see uh, unfold. Um, what gives me pause is just the fact that this is, we'll have the Olympics later this, this year in, in the summer. Um, it'll only be six teams and then it'll go away again. And that's problematic. I, I know that we wanna focus on the positive we should continue to, but I think it's really on USA Softball the IOC to uh, to address the reasons why softball was not included in the shortlist for France, um, and address those concerns and find a way to uh, make softball even more global than it is now. I know that there are a number of players who are doing incredible work to to spread the amazing uh, potential for softball in Europe and in Africa and other parts around the world. But I think it's important that we understand that this is a long game for us. We can't just rest on the fact that softball's here in 2020. What's the plan to make sure that we still have this stage for women for softball in the Olympics beyond Tokyo? Right. And with 
it being in LA in 2028, there's a chance, right, that I could come back. But the point is to have that consistency across the board. The MLB, for example, announced that they're sponsoring the USA Olympic softball team on their quest for gold, basically, in the Stand Beside Her tour as they play all these top college teams in the spring to prepare. So how important is it for softball and women in sports really in general to have allies like this? I think it's, it's paramount. When I played in the NPF, I know we did a lot of touring around the country. Um, even though we all had home fields, we actually spent a lot of time on the road playing at neutral sites. And most of the neutral sites that we played at were um, minor league baseball parks. And being able to leverage a relationship with Major League Baseball to, to get into those minor league ballparks and, and show these regional areas who already have a passion for base, for minor league baseball, um, how easy it is to transfer that passion into professional softball. Um, it was huge for the NPF, I think, to get that exposure. And that's just one example of getting these larger entities to buy into the mission of you know, USA Softball, NPF, whoever it may be. And, and use their platform to help raise up women's sports in general, but in this case, specifically women's softball, is, is the way, is, is, ha- is the path to creating a, a success story out of softball. Um, I think while it's uh, optimistic to try and create it ourselves, we have to rely on those who have the larger voices in the room. And so um, I'm super excited about the Stand Beside Her tour. I know it just kicked off, I think it was last week, which is super exciting. I'm following very closely. Um, and it's just cool because as I remember in, in the lead up to the 2000 Olympics, uh, the Olympic team did something very similar, except they had to put together regional all-star teams to be able to play against the USA team. You know, they didn't have colleges to play. And so I remember being a little girl in those stands and just being in awe of, of what I saw. And it really solidified my path in life. And so just creating that space for more and more young girls to be able to see what, what's, what's possible and what they could be capable of is huge for the sport and really goes a long way in trying to create that, you know, reliable uh, program for softball to continue to flourish on the main stage. Right. Look at us now. We got to keep going. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And you have actually worn USA across your chest. There are obviously a mix of emotions you feel when you're in that position. What words of wisdom or what would you share with the current national team members? Yeah. So I was really fortunate enough to play for USA Um, both as part of the junior national program and then on the national team. And so going through that program, and I mean, I was lucky enough to play with the likes of Jenny Finch, Natasha Watley, uh, Kat Osterman and Monica Abbott on the team, Jessica Mendoza. And so I think the first emotion that you feel is just, you're just starstruck the entire time. You're just sitting there and you're like quaking in your boots, just looking at these, these women who you looked up to for, (laughs) for years and now you're like playing catch with them and, and trying to hit BP off of them and things like that. The thing that comes next is this feeling of, you know, do I belong here? Like what the hell, what am I doing here? And so I think the best advice I can give from my experience is that one, yes, you belong. Um, you're here for a reason. You're here to, to help move the cause forward and, and to, to win gold for USA. The sooner you can embrace that and just continue to have fun Playing for Team USA was how I learned how to have fun with softball, because at the end of the day, you're wearing USA across your chest. You're competing against the best in the world um, from different countries. You're traveling places that you would have never gone if it weren't for softball. Then you, everything else just tends to fall away, and that stress and that pressure and that expectation of, that also comes with those three letters 
um, takes a back seat to just those raw emotions of, I'm just happy to be here. How can I help? Um, yeah. I think that's, that's when USA softball is at its best. Yeah. And high stakes doesn't necessarily mean low fun, right? And if you embrace it in the right way. I had the most fun playing for team USA, even in like gold medal games that were again, a very high pressure, just the amount of laughter and fun and, and good times that we had, even in those really tough moments, it, it'll, it blows my mind to this day. I love it. Well, speaking of fun, the location of the Olympics plays a role here. Like we've said, the fact that it's in Japan and well before Tokyo 2020, you actually lived in Japan for a few years after your softball career. Share a little bit about what you did and what it was like. So this is another good story about how softball really opened up the world for me. I would have never have thought to go to Japan um, on my own. And I actually first got my, I got my first introduction to Japan while traveling with Team USA. We went to the Japan Cup in Sendai City and I fell in love with the country. And I was like, I have to find a way to get back here. And so uh, after I, I finished my softball career, I got a job teaching English at a, a medical school in rural Japan, like way out in the middle of nowhere, Japan, trust me. It was like a 12 <laughs> hour, 12 hour bus ride from Tokyo, like nowhere near a major city. Um, and it, that's kind of what I wanted. I, I had hit a point in my career in softball where I was like, I, I think I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. I want to try and do something different and see what I'm capable of. And so I actually wanted to get as far away from softball as I, I possibly could. <laughs> And I made a joke once that was like, it was like softball was like this drug sniffing dog that found me no matter what, because <laughs> within like six months, within six months of my arriving there, I had met people who used to play professional softball and they had like a fun recreational team that would play on the weekends. And so I was on this like recreational team with a bunch of former Japanese pro players and then working as a teacher and, uh, you know, as it, it, it was an amazing experience. I still consider Japan my second home. I just went back a few months ago uh, to visit and it was like I had never left. It's, it's an incredible place, uh, amazing people, um, a very welcoming culture um, and just good ambassadors for the game of softball. They really love their softball and they, they understand what, it, it, what it's capable of, what the game is capable of. And so it was, it, I couldn't have picked a perf more perfect place to spend my post softball life. <laughs> of course. And we talked about like Team USA's dramatic loss in 2008, but like it was to Japan. Softball fans remember that. But if you're new to the game, Japan has an amazing national team and also a pretty prominent pro league there. I mean, I'd like to see anyone try to hit off Ueno. Unbelievable. So you mentioned the Japanese culture around softball. Can you talk more about how they value it or how they approach the game? Just seconding, uh, Yukiko Ueno, the, the anchor of the Japanese pitching staff. She's been around, I feel like, since the beginning of softball time. She's like the ageless wonder. I don't know how she does it. And what's interesting about her is that she's reinvented herself. Back in 2008, she's topping out at 72, 73 miles an hour from 43 feet. Like, that's unhittable. And now as she's gotten uh, older, she's reinvented herself as a pitcher. And now there was a lot more movement and a lot more off speed and a lot more junk. I think it's an incredible story of perseverance um, and just playing with the cards that you're dealt. Um, so I have a lot of respect for her and for the entire Japanese uh, national team. They're, you're right, they are incredibly good. Uh, they're not to be slept on. I know Team USA is very aware of that. But I think the reason why they have such a reputation for being a great team goes back to the heart of, of why the Japanese culture and a sport like softball really mix well. 
there's a saying in, in Japanese that essentially says the nail that sticks out the most gets hammered down the hardest. And that can be quite a harsh saying. And, and when you're talking about things like individuality and, and freedom of expression, you know, there's, there's that conversation. But for a game like softball, which is a game based on repetition, doing the same thing every single time until you have it completely perfect, um, that's what softball is. And it's something that uh, the Japanese culture embraces. And so you go to a Japanese softball practice and it's hours and hours of the same reps over and over and over again. Whereas American softball coaches are trying to find ways to change up practice plans and make it fun and keep girls engaged. In Japan, they don't have to worry about that. They just do the same thing over and over again. That's why they tend to be uh, more technically sound, tend to work more as one unit because they just have more practice at it. And they just respect the game at the end of the day. Respect is a big part of Japanese culture. Um, and so you see that in everything that they do, um, every act that every action that they're making, every every uh, pitch, every at bat that they approach, every ground ball that they field, um, is from a sense of respect for the for the larger game, and they they have a, a duty to uphold that. Um, so it, it's why they they have been good in the past. They will continue to be good, and they'll they'll be a big threat, especially since they have home field advantage in the Olympics. That makes a lot of sense. Talk about dedication to your craft, right? It's unreal. Just going to bring it back to the States now. So we've mentioned the NPF a few times throughout our conversation because really the last softball you played was right before you went to Japan in the NPF for the pride. What was your experience like? And do you have a specific memory that sticks out the most? Absolutely. So I first came to the NPF coming off of probably the best month of softball I've ever played in my career with Team USA. I mean, we had just won a gold medal at the world championships in Venezuela. You know, I bat like over 500 for the tournament. Like the ball was as big as a watermelon in my eyes at that point. I think I went in with that sense of confidence that I was talking about earlier about how it's like, oh, well, I'm just the best thing since sliced bread. Who's, who are these NPF teams? You know, what do they have to offer? <laughs> and I immediately in the, the following month, I don't think I hit above a buck 50. Like I was striking wow. out. I was swinging and missing. I was just, I looked like an idiot. And I think all my teammates were like, who is this girl? She plays for Team USA? Like, come on. And I was humbling. And I, I believe it now to this day um, that the NPF uh, pound for pound is the best softball in the entire world. The level of competition, the amount of like, just the sheer number of athletes that they have and the skill level and the speed of the game is second to none. And I, I include international play in that as well. And it's just because you have this concentration of the best college players who, um, you know, might've been studs in college and are continuing their, their amazing performance in MPF, or maybe players that flew under the radar during their college careers that are really coming into their own in the NPF and doing so well. I, I've never been more challenged as a player than when I played for the pride. Um, and it's just because the level of talent is is incredible. And you're literally, you can't stop. Every single day is a grind. Every single day is an opportunity to try and get better and keep up with a play that you see in the MPF. Yeah, talk about a grind. Like people need to know, when we're talking about Alyssa Haber hitting 150, her batting average, let me just say, always started with a four, the two years that we overlapped in college. Like, let's just make that clear. Like, this is a big deal. It, it was a huge challenge. So with that being said, They've been shaking things up with new teams. The Aussie Peppers, which is mostly made of the Australian national team and Canadian Wild from the Team Canada last year. And now they're actually bringing in a brand new California Commotion team emerging 
under Kirk Walker's leadership, lots of crossover here. So how important do you feel like it is to have professional softball? And what do you hope to see? I think in general, the NPF uh, is doing amazing work. Um, I think when, when I was around, there was definitely, I sensed this kind of us versus them being NPF versus international softball, because there was the conflict of interest that USA softball was taking away the talent from the NPF that they needed to really succeed. Um, and that's completely gone. I think now there's more of a partnership in this. It, it seems to me that there's a belief that a rising tide raises all ships. And in order for the NPF or USA softball to succeed, they're going to need the other um, just as a good pool of talent to pull from potentially um, and reaching over, you know, boundaries or, or borders to, to include the Australian national team, the Canadian national team, create a space for them to be able to get the reps in before they go and play internationally um, is huge. I think it's only going to better the game. And then just stepping away from the international piece and more towards just the value of the NPF as a standalone organization. I mean, when I was growing up, I never imagined that I could be a professional athlete. I thought that softball was a means to an end. I would get a college scholarship, get my degree. And then when I graduate from college, that's it. I'm going to go into the workforce with my degree. And that's still an extremely viable path for, for a lot of softball players. It's what they want and that's okay. It's just now there are other options. Like, do you want to be a professional athlete or do you want to continue your career past softball? I mean, if, if you're good enough and you devote yourself enough, then, then that's an option for you that, that can emerge. And so um, I think just giving young women these different options, these different avenues and platforms that they could, they could showcase their success, I think is nothing but, but good for this game. It, it continues the conversation around, you know, how much we should be paying female athletes, of course, larger discussion that spans across every sport. Um, but it's a, it's a step in the right direction, I think. It's all about the choice, being mm. able to tell the game when you're ready to part with it, not have the game tell you, right? Yep. Absolutely. And all of these pieces fit together. Like you were saying, you know, maybe sometimes there's some competition within the softball world, but really softball is one community. There are different pieces to the puzzle, but we are all one community and it's all coming together really nicely in 2020. And I'm super excited to watch yeah. it and talk with you about it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I think that now more than ever, you know, there's always going to be infighting. There's always going to be self-interest in some respects, but I think now more than ever, we can really start seeing those walls starting to break down and realize that we're better together. And so the more we can find the ways in which we can achieve common goals, the, the better off we're going to be as if we just, than if we just stay in our own corners and try and um, advance just our own selfish interests. It's all about the game at the end of the day. Very well said. Well, I actually have one more question. It's a very serious question. Are you ready? Oh gosh, I can't. Yes, hit me. <laughs> All right. Think back to your playing days. Would you rather wake up for 6 a.m. weights or pull the tarp on the field in the rain at 11 p.m. at night? Oh, see, <laughs> as soon as you said 6 a.m., I was like, whatever the other thing is, it's going to be that because I am not a morning person. You're very well aware of that. I'm like a, uh, I'm the person that's sitting in the back of the bus or in, in the weight room who's just like, don't look at me, don't even mention my name, like, don't even think about me. You don't want to see me when I'm, I'm early morning, Alyssa. Um, I always liked pulling the tarp. I always thought it was super fun. Um, it was, it was even in the rain, 
at least at Stanford, we always tried to to make it funny and we always tried to, you know, enjoy the time we had together. I mean, anything where I'm having fun with my teammates is cool. And plus, you know, you can pull the tarp and then use it as a slip and slide, which I know we've done in the past. So oh, there, for sure. there's always that. <laughs> absolutely so definitely I'm, the tarp yes a thousand percent in agreement like even when I was thinking about this question I was like well I think the answer is a little obvious but I'm gonna go for it anyway <laughs> unless you. one of our teammates loses her phone in the tarp which definitely happened once oh my gosh yes <laughs> shout, shout out to shout out to Missy Penna for that one losing her phone in the tarp <laughs> Missy I think lost a lot of things also during her college years to be fair true, true. <laughs> Well, awesome. On that note, thank you so much for joining us on this first episode. I'm so excited to potentially hear more from you too, as we go throughout this year and cover everything softball. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to come back. JB, this is awesome. You have your own podcast. I wish you the best of luck. I know everyone who's listening is excited to to get the next episode. So be sure to subscribe. (laughs) Thanks. I love it. Shameless plug. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you all for listening to It's been a blast. And reminder, on that same note, Haber, Believe in Softball is available on all your directories. Remember, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Also available on Believe.com and on social at Believe Podcast. Subscribe, rate, share, do it all. And then, of course, again, you can reach me at Twitter, at JennaBecerra01, for questions, comments, whatever you got. Thanks again, everybody, and catch you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.